message as I uh, unpack the the treasures that are that are in your word. I pray that folks would hear from you and know you more intimately just from hearing the word preached. I pray that you would give grace and mercy uh, to the folks who are here, that they would they would draw into your presence, that your word would fill them, that they would be satisfied by it, that it would be um, convicting where it needs to be convicting and uplifting where it needs to be uplifting. In Christ's name, amen. Um, if you're a little kid, this is the time to head with Stephanie to Children's Church. Uh, not you, Abby, you're stuck here. Um, oh, Titus got caught. This <laughs> All right, I'm fighting a cold here, so everybody be a little patient with me, um, and I will try not to get any of you sick. Um, the, so we're working on Second Peter, um, and this will be our last sermon in chapter 2, um, and I kinda, I'm going to come at this a little differently than normal. Um, there's, there's some interesting stuff in this, and there's a couple of like, big ideas that sit behind it that I want to dig into, and and, and so kind of as we approach it, I, I want to talk about mosquito bites for half a second. Um, I, y'all are familiar with mosquitoes, right? We, we get them about half the year, the, the state bird. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing with mosquito bites, and the reason I, I use them as an illustration often, is the worst part, of, what's the worst thing about mosquitoes? The bites, I mean, sorry. What's the worst thing about mosquito bites? They itch, right? And what happens when you scratch them? They itch more. And then when you scratch them more, what happens? They itch more, and eventually your skin breaks open and you bleed, and they still itch. And, like, it, it's maddening, right? It doesn't matter how many times you scratch at them. It doesn't matter how much you dig in. Like, they itch. Because mosquitoes are horrible. They have this nasty habit of sucking your blood out and injecting you with a little, like, coagulant. That are anticoagulant that keeps your blood from from like stopping up so that they can drink it, and then um, that anticoagulant is what makes you itch, and so like they're nasty because they they feed off you, and they give you this nasty little sickness that makes you itch forever and ever and ever, um, until you've scratched all the way through to the bone. Of course, it's not that far. Um, this is really similar to an idea that was presented by um, a Christian philosopher in the, uh, in the um, I believe in the 1800s, um, a fellow by the name of Blaise Pascal, who said that every man, every woman, every person has inside them a space that God has designed to fit, right? Um, it's, it's popularized as the uh, God-sized hole in our heart, but Pascal was the first one who who, who kind of put this to words. And the idea here is that inside of all of us there's this space and that, that we experience kind of misery because there's this empty hole right in the middle of us. Um, I think Kierkegaard called it angst, this, this misery that comes with separation from our creator. Um, but there are lots of ways we try to fill this hole. Um, I, I've known people over the years who've tried to, tried to fill it with alcohol or drugs or pornography or stuff or family or achievement or acclaim from other people or, you know, entertainment or whatever. I mean, they're, they're, you name it, you know, relationships or, you know, people, people try to pour things into this hole to make it so they don't feel empty inside. 
right? Like just to fill that hole that is there because we are separated from God by our sin, by our brokenness. God designed us to be a part of our lives and he isn't like he's distant from us in our natural state because of our sin. And so like God is so far away and we have this emptiness and, and that emptiness itches like crazy. And the more we scratch it, the more it itches, right? And so You'll see this. This is how folks become, you know, addicts. They they pour something in, you know, they pour in their alcohol, and when they're sobered up again, it itches. And it feels good for the second while you're scratching it, but that emptiness comes right back. You know, and, and over and over and over again we try to fill it. And the problem is that the only thing that will ever, ever, ever fill that hole is is God himself. Like, like nothing else will do it. And a lot of times we look at the Lord and we say, you know what, <clears throat> I kind of see you, but I, I really feel like this is going to do it. And there are people sometimes who will walk, you know, pretend to kind of walk with Jesus, and they'll at the same time try to fill that hole with other stuff. They try to look awesome in front of people. I did that for years. I, I, I was the best Christian I knew, and people talked about how great of a Christian I was. It was awesome, but inside I was dead. And I needed something to fill that hole inside of me because I... I wanted it to be filled with something that wasn't Jesus. And, and it just kills you inside. And slowly you shrivel up and you become emptier and emptier and more and more broken. Um, and so we're diving into our text today. Um, somehow I have the wrong title slide. I don't know how I managed to do that. Um, I, I have no background. Like this is, uh, real quick though, this is the end of chapter 2. Peter is addressing false teachers who are saying that Jesus is never coming back and that there is no judgment and we can do whatever we want. You know, there is nothing coming. And so they advocated just wild living. These are people who would target sort of unsteady Christians and like prey on them. Um, they, they tended to sleep around in the church. They tended to um, overindulge at the love feasts and, and they, they taught false doctrine and, and they, they were damaging believers. Um, they were probably, based on the location, these were probably um, folks who took a little bit of like sort of the Greek philosophy of Epicureanism, which taught there is no judgment, there is no end, like that the gods on Olympus were never coming to deal with you. They were there, but they didn't care. And so like they, they Christians would, they were teaching Christians like, well, it's just the same as the Epicureans. God is out there, but he's not going to do anything. And Jesus is never coming back. There'll be no judgment. Do whatever you want, because this is all there is. Right? YOLO. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun, but we can make it dumber. Um, and we live in a culture that very much like buys into this idea, you can do what you want. Um, and Paul is, or Peter, excuse me, is ripping into these folks who are teaching these people like, hey, do what you want. It doesn't matter. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry. The whole nine yards. And in 17, he kind of puts out an interesting set of phrases here. He says, these people are springs without water. And miss driven by the storm. Um, these are two kind of separate analogies. Um, but have you ever been really thirsty? Like you go to Disney World and it's hot. And sodas are like $14. And so you see that one water fountain. And you go up to it and you turn the lever and nothing comes out. And there's that moment of disappointment of like, what the heck? Where's my water? You know, they're they're... They're promising something good, but there is nothing to it. Um, a little like, again, we're going to come back to our mosquito bite. If you just scratch that itch, it'll get better, right? Will it? No, of course not. 
never gets better just scratching it. You have to fix it. You can never fill the hole inside you like with stuff, with experience, with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography, with, with some new relationship or some fancy new thing like new toy that you buy. Like nothing, nothing, nothing will fill that hole. And at the end of the day, it's just a spring that promises something good, but it's, it's dry. Um, I uh, talked about uh, the book I'm Broken a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, Frank Zamperini was uh, an American GI who was uh, captured by the Japanese after spending a world record amount of time on the open ocean. And he talked about dying of thirst on the ocean, being surrounded by water, and knowing that if you drank any of it, what would happen? Kill you faster because it would make you more thirsty. And the way the world approaches us the way the world approaches the lost, those folks who are trying to fill that hole inside themselves, is there's stuff everywhere. You turn on the TV and there are commercials that promise you, if you have this, you'll be happy. New cell phone, your family will be great, right? You know, enjoy this new TV show and you will, you will be satisfied. You will be entertained and you will have meaning in life. But it's a lie, because the more you drink the water out of the sea of nothingness around us, the worse it makes you. The more and more thirsty you'll get. The mist driven by the storm is a reference to something kind of weird. And I, I read about this, and I, I'm going to tell it wrong, so be prepared. Um, what would happen is sometimes, um, in the Middle East, I guess, they, there would be these times when um, condensation would come up off the ground, and then the storm, like our wind, would carry it off. And so it would look like it was going to be humid. It would look like there would be water in the air. But in reality, the water was coming up out of the ground and it was about to leave. Um, either way, it's a, a phenomenon where people would see these like clouds and think rain is coming. And they were met with more dryness and wind. Um, and the more they thought, this is the solution, this is the solution, this is the solution the more empty they were inside. Um, and these false teachers, this is what they were doing. They were coming to the church and they were saying, this is how you heal this spot. This is how you fill this hole. This is how you make the void not hurt. How you make that, that past brokenness disappear. This is it. But at the end of the day, it didn't work. And it can't work. It might distract you for a little while. It might make you feel safe for a moment. But at the end of the day, without Christ in you, you will remain empty. And Peter goes so far as to say, the blackest darkness is reserved for them. And so these teachers who come and are misleading believers, young believers, people who are immature in their faith, are hurt, are damaged, like the blackest darkness, the most severe judgment is reserved for them. Four, they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they make themselves, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for the people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And so Peter is, again, winding up and punching hard, right? Um, the words that come out of their mouth, they're lies, and they're arrogant lies. They're arrogant lies that come from a place of, I know better than you. I will rescue you from your, your emptiness, your pain. I will make it better. And in reality, they have nothing to offer. 
And they appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh. In this instance, like we know he talks about adultery and overeating and alcohol and everything else in the preceding section. Um, And that's probably where we're at here, where these are teachers who are coming along and saying, this will make your life better. This is it. Um, This is the thing that will make you happy. Um, There are a lot of ministers and teachers who do this now. If you buy my book, if you sow this seed offering, if you, you know, just give this amount, if you just, whatever, take our class, if you just, all this other nonsense that has nothing to do with Jesus, and they offer it out there, seeking out the desires of the flesh in folks, and and it's a lie. Um, There are folks out there who say, you know, who teach the church, they teach them, do what you want, right? God isn't going to judge you for anything. He's cool, don't worry, God is fine with everything you want to do. Go out and, you know, sin doesn't really count. Like, they look away from this stuff. Um, and honestly, the world around us does this. Um, they entice people. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And so specifically, this, these teachers are targeting young believers or people who are damaged, people who are coming out of like bondage to one thing or another, or coming out of um, being lost or, or members of, of one cult or another um, cultic group. And cultic group would refer to like a religious group in the ancient world. It's not like, you know, a cultic group. Anyway, um, the, the, but they'd appeal to these guys and they would trick them because they were easier. Because honestly, at the end of the day, um, I, it's funny, I, I very rarely have folks come knock on my door, pull out their, their weird books and preach to me from, from their books because, because I don't lose those arguments. I don't. <laughs> like, I, I'm not a fun guy to argue with. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm just not. I got, like, 20-some-odd years of education in this stuff. Like, I'm, I know my stuff. Um, usually, um, the folks that convert to cultic groups nowadays, um, they are people who've drifted from the faith and are sort of nominal in their beliefs, and they seize on to this new thing, and they get drawn in, right? It's not folks who are in the Word. It's not folks who are prepared. It's not folks who've studied the Scriptures. It's people who are, um, they just don't know their stuff. Um, in this instance, we see where they're promising them stuff, something better. You will get freedom, but these are slaves promising, hey, you can be free too. Right? I mean, it's, it's, um, if you think about it from this perspective, it's a little like guys in chains saying, hey, come put the chains on, it'll be wonderful. Come live any way you want. You're free to sin as much as you want, and you will be free. But in reality, like, sin doesn't free us. Um, years ago, I, I, I worked in a, in a rehab, and I knew guys who thought they were escaping from this awful lives they had by, by, you know, getting high or getting drunk. And in reality, all of that stuff was just enslaving them to a different thing. Um, I know folks who live their lives to earn more money, to spend more money, to have nicer stuff. And at the end of the day, it just breaks them. Um, Christ touched on this when he said, um, when he talks about serving two masters, right? Can't love God and money too. Um, you can't serve two masters. You'll end up loving one and hating the other or hating one and loving the other. Um, the same goes for everything. Anything that would entice us away from full and utter devotion to Christ will enslave us. 
Um, there are folks who turn their families and, or turn their relationships into God. And those things become like the most important thing. And it enslaves them. The, uh, there are people who... Um, <laughs> There are people who, again, money, alcohol, like all these things. I don't want to beat this to death if I'm careful, not careful. So we're going to move on. So like these guys are saying, hey, come join us in this freedom. And in reality, the freedom that they're expressing is just slavery. It's slavery to licentiousness. It's slavery to lust. It's slavery to, to sex or alcohol or pornography or whatever. And it's not free. It's not. Because sin ultimately, it's a little like fish hooks. Um, there's a great episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, the great philosopher and theologian SpongeBob SquarePants, where, where SpongeBob and his dumb friend Patrick are playing on the hooks. And the hooks are fish hooks that are sitting down in the ocean, and they're out playing, and they see the hooks, and they say, these things are kind of neat. Let's play on them. So they grab a hold of the hook, and the hook carries them up, and then they let go and float back down, and it was so much fun, so they do it again. And they do it again, and they do it again. And then an adult comes by and says, hey, guys, knock it off. You're going to get caught. So, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. These things are fun. And so they keep doing it until one of them gets hooked, right? One of them gets caught. And that's kind of the way sin is. Sin is this thing that looks delicious, but when you bite into it and swallow it hard, you discover you've swallowed a pretty big hook. And you ain't getting away from it as easy as you thought you were. Um, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So what Peter's saying is, listen, these guys who've come to Christ, who've come to know Christ and are being enticed away, um, once they're enticed away, once they're hooked against, once they're dragged back in, it's worse for them. Um, part of that is because, like, coming back to Christ is hard. It just is. It is a really hard thing to admit, I failed, and to come back to Christ. It is a really hard thing to say, I denied Christ, I lived in sin, and then to come back. It is an incredibly difficult thing, especially because the deeper into any sort of slavery we get, the harder it is to get out of it. Um, it just gets harder and harder and harder every time we fall away to come back. Um, and by the way, I'm going to backtrack a couple of verses um, to my first one here. Um, blackness, darkness is reserved for them. And so, like, he makes a statement. These guys are in for it. They are in trouble. And everything he's saying here is why they've accumulated a severe punishment for themselves, why there is more wrath coming on their behalf, why they are in so much trouble. Um, because they've taken people who have escaped corruption and they preyed on them. Um, and entangled them in the world again. It's a little like a guy coming up out of the out of the water, you know, and then somebody says, hey, come on back in here. Let's drown together, right? Um, and these false teachers, this is what they do. Like, and the world, this is what it does. It doesn't like to see us escape. It doesn't like us to see us in freedom. It doesn't like to see us, like, like in Christ. And so there's a pullback, a drawback in, um, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn back on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Um, why would it have been better? Well, some of this is playing off some of what Jesus has said in other places, and James talks about this in the book of James, or excuse me, <clears throat> Paul in Hebrews, is this idea that 
once we've taken on the command and we've stepped away from it, returning it is just hard. Um, Jesus talks about it in relation to demons. He says, you know, if you cast a demon out of a guy and he doesn't prepare himself to fight it off again, he doesn't, like, secure his household, then seven more will show up tomorrow and take over. You know, and, and the idea here is, like, if we fall out, you know, if we come out of sin and we come to know Christ and we fall back into sin, getting out is just harder. It is just more difficult. We are entrapped much worse. Um, and here we are. These people have been entrapped worse because of these false teachers. And therefore, the blackest darkness is reserved for them. Um, that's actually a line from, uh, again, Sermon on the Mount where Christ says that anybody who teaches children, like God's children, to go astray, um, anybody who harms God's children, it would be better for a millstone. I mean, a millstone, like a small millstone, is, is a boulder, right? It would be better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and for them to be tossed into the sea than for them to face God on Judgment Day. Um, and that's basically what Peter's echoing here. These guys have the blackest of darkness coming because they've taken church folks and they've drowned them. In, in foolishness. They've drowned them. they brought them back to slavery. Um, of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. Um, Peter uses two here, and basically the idea is it's easy to return to your, your, your brokenness, right? It's easy to return to your mistakes. It is easy to return to the things that kill you. Um, I... I it's a very difficult thing to watch believers do this. It's very difficult to watch a young believer come out of brokenness, come out of sin, come out of addiction, come out of one thing or another, and then run back to it. And the more you run back to it, the harder it is to get out of it, the harder it is to escape completely. Um, is it possible? Yeah, actually, because like anything is possible with God, right? Because the Holy Spirit moves in amazing ways because, um, because, because Christ's grace is sufficient for people who walk away and come back. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's not easy. Harder and harder every time. So what do we do with this? This is one of those weird passages where you back up and you say, well, how do I apply this? And honestly, I have struggled most of the week. How do you apply this? Um, the first thing I would say is, as you look at your heart, as you look at your life, as I'm talking to you, um, I'd ask you what itch you're scratching, right? Like, are you working on some empty spot, trying to make it okay? Like, do you have sort of a, a fear of being alone, and you scratch that itch? Do you have fear of being alone with your thoughts and having to listen to the, you know, the self-reproach or the guilt or the shame? Or, or dealing with the sorrow of a past loss, and therefore you're running to something else, drinking or, or, or whatever. I mean, like, like, is there an itch you're scratching? Like, are you, are you digging in and just trying to make it stop? Um, and if that's the case, stop. Like, turn from that, because that hook will catch you eventually. You will not get away with it. Sin is not something we play with. Sin is not something that we, that we handle lightly. Um, it's something we take seriously. I, I was talking to a guy a couple, I don't know, sometime last year, and he, he was, we were talking about handguns. And he reaches into his briefcase, and he pulls out, like, a big hand cannon. And he's got his finger on the trigger, 
Like, no, he's not, like, doing the trigger discipline. He's his finger in his trigger, and he's talking to a crowd of us. He's waving it around just talking about it. And I was like, here, let me see that. <laughs> because, and I checked that he wasn't loaded, like, that time. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is if you handle something like that gently, or if you handle something like that carelessly, eventually what's going to happen? Eventually you're going to shoot your toe off or worse, Right? Like, sin is the same way. We treat it with respect. We don't handle it like it's a toy. We don't deal with it. We deal with it like it's something that could kill you or kill the guy next to you or kill the guy in the next room because in reality, sin can kill us. And not physically, eternally. Like, so the first thing, like, what is the itch you're scratching? Like, are you? Is there an empty place you're trying to fill with something other than Christ? Because God looks at us and he knows that hole is there. And he knows that sin has made it and created the separation. And so he's come and Christ poured out his blood for us. And he died and took punishment for our sins. And put himself in a position where he is that missing puzzle piece. Do you ever have that with your kids? Where you got a puzzle that they put together. And there's like one piece missing. You know, and they've spent hours doing it in that one missing piece. And they start dumping out the toy boxes and searching all over looking for that one piece. And I think I've seen Titus grab a piece from a different puzzle, you know, pound on it, trying. <laughs> Are you trying to pound the wrong piece into that hole? Are you trying to make your heart okay? Are you feeding your soul with garbage, trying to make yourself full? It ain't going to work. If you're somebody that doesn't know the Lord, if you're somebody who is hearing this and you're like, this is the first time I've ever heard anything like this. Like, this is the first time I've ever even heard this idea. My challenge to you, my encourage, my urging, my, my most important thing I would say today is, like, understand the only thing that will ever fill that hole is Christ. We're called to follow him. We're called to belong to him. We're called to submit to him, to be slaves to Christ, because you will be a slave to something. You'll be a slave to your success or your money or your, your whims and desires or your, your appetites or whatever, but you will, be, you will belong to something. It is impossible to not belong to anything. In fact, I was reading a really good book by a Danish philosopher. Uh, I listened to an interview with him, and I thought, he's kind of interesting, so I've been reading it. And his whole thing is about not being enslaved to anything and living your life for the purpose of living your life. And guess what? He's a slave to living his life for just the purpose of living his life. Like, and it doesn't even make any sense. But he be, like, you can't avoid it. You must live for something. And God has designed us to live this way. God has designed us to be this way. If you look around you, if you look at the folks who are in your orbit... And you're saying, well, I'm not itching these itches, but I see where people are doing it. Like, pray for those folks. You know, share the gospel with those folks. Point it out to them. Bring them close to you so that you can help them to get out of it. Because this is a trap that will kill you. It'll kill you spiritually is the end of us if we don't figure it out. If you want to know more about this, come talk to me. If you want to know more about this, um, talk to John or Jeremy or, or like any number of like really mature, like devout folks in this room. Um, you discover this, like the gospel is the thing that feeds us. Um, when Christ was standing at the well with the woman who was there, like uh, the Samaritan woman, and she's there in the middle of the day to get her water because she's kind of adulterous and she's, She's got all these problems, and she's trying to avoid people. And he's talking to her, and he says, listen, I can give you water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. Like, I can give you living water. Um, 
and in the end she believed him. And in the end there's evidence that she, like, like was the front end of a huge revival amongst these folks that, that Christianity spread in these regions. And, like, there's some argument amongst theologians that, that this contact, this living water, was enough to be in it. And my question for you is, if you're thirsty, have you, have you drunk deeply of the well? Like, have you turned to Christ? And if you're falling away and you're discovering that you're entangled again, come back today. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that you would help us to, to recognize um, the things that are enticing us, Lord God. Help us to look and, and see, like, that is a fishing lure that will drag me into the grave, Lord. Help us to, to have eyes and wisdom to recognize that only Christ, only your Son, crucified and risen, and, and, and you know, only in him can we be made new. Only in him can the itching stop. Can the emptiness be filled? I pray, Lord God, that that folks who would come to our congregation, that would come to our people, that would mislead them and and draw them back into slavery, Lord God, that you would that you would push them away, that you would give us eyes of discernment to see it. And I pray, Lord God, that anybody who's here that, that doesn't know you, that that's become hooked into something, that's become lost or or is flirting with that that ongoing sin, Lord God, that you would draw their heart back to you. Um, I pray that you would help us to recognize that there is no freedom in our indulgence. There is no freedom in, in satiating our sinful appetites. Lord God, that there is only, sin, only freedom in Christ. Amen. Have a good Sunday.